It is good to be with you. And uh, there are those moments as a preacher where you go, oh, and I've got one of those moments this morning. Um, when I agreed to preach on, uh, on this day, I wasn't aware of the, the, the text that we had. And um, the text came through a couple of weeks back, and I thought, oh, great, this is going to be one of those, those sermons. Do I feign illness? I had my COVID booster on Friday and my flu, so I really, really don't think, Richard, I can make it on Sunday morning. Ah! No, we can't do that. Uh, Richard actually did say, please feel free to pick any of the verses out that you want to focus on. So I'd really like to preach on Ephesians chapter 3, please, this morning. <laughs> I'd be quite happy and content there. But as Richard said, this is God's word and we are... Um, we're not obliged to, to look at it, but it's good to look at the words that are written there. A couple of things, um, uh, couple of things to say, I guess, almost as a, uh, a, a means of starting this. There is an awful lot in those verses, and I was given from verse 21 um, uh, to, to, uh, as our sort of section for today, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 9. There is a lot there. We are not going to do it justice in the hour and a half that we've got together this morning. Um, I'm trying to get you on side with some jokes. Are you getting this? Um, no, uh, we're not going to be able to do it justice in the time that we've got. And I'm not going to attempt to do it justice. Because I think there is something uh, that we do need to look at in, in these verses um, that will help us, I think, understand some more of the difficult uh, bits there. We could spend several weeks looking at, at these verses alone, but we've got um, one week, uh, one sermon. Um, second thing to say, there are, and I've already alluded to this, these are some of the most difficult verses that we've got, uh, I think, in the New Testament, in Paul's writing easily. Um, and I don't want to sort of diminish that uh, we can't get our spiritual tipex out and say we don't like these verses, so let's take them out of God's word. We have them, and we have to respond to them. But I think, uh, I think these are probably the hardest, this is the hardest passage that I've ever been asked to preach on in my 30 years of ministry. But we'll give it a go. We'll give it a go, because it's here, and you are working through uh, this series in Ephesians. What makes it partly harder is that um, I have no or little relationship with you. This is my first time preaching uh, here at Lincoln Baptist. I've been in the East Midlands for four years. Uh, I know Lincoln isn't one of my churches, so we haven't got that, re that relationship. I know some of you from different contexts, um, but most of you don't know me. We don't have that relationship, and this is about relationship. So I'm mindful, I'm mindful that um, there may be things that I say that you like, there may be things I say I don't like. Uh, I hope and pray that we will hold together in the bond of peace that is our Lord Jesus Christ that makes us brothers and sisters. My theology may be different to your theology, but actually what I really like about us as a Baptist family, we are able to hold a spectrum of theology together in one. 
Let me just try and put this into context. In verses gone by, uh, I listened to the, the sermon last week. In verses gone by, Paul has been instructing the church at Ephesus how to live together. He's told them to take the opportunities that are presented to them. Make the most of them. He encourages the church to think about how they act. What do people see in them as they go about claiming the name of Jesus? He goes on to say, you know, be filled with the Spirit. And then he describes that actually a Spirit-filled life is one full of gratitude, one full of worship. And, and now Paul actually appears in our passage today. He appears to move on. Probably doesn't help with our artificial um, Bible layout that we have with headings put in. He talks about key relationships. And maybe he's actually trying to say this is how these relationships can be bettered, can be improved. He talks about this, this section that we have. We would refer to this as a household code. How is a household to live together? And they were common in many numerous ancient texts. And, and as we hit our verses today, we have to bear in mind, particularly beginning at verse 21, we have to bear in mind that there is considerable discussion amongst scholars and academics commentators and all sorts, about whether or not verse 21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, belongs, as we have it in our section today, with the verses that come after or the verses that go before. And in some translations, they will be placed either side of that paragraph break that we have. So in my version of the NIV that I tend to use, they are placed after, they are grouped with 22 through to 6, 9. If I'd picked up the NIV from about 15 years ago, they would have been grouped prior to then. And then there would have been that paragraph break. So there's considerable debate about where verse 21 sits. Is it before? Is it after? And translators change their minds as they go along. For me, I'm not a great uh, Greek scholar, but for me, I would say, actually, verse 21 lands with verse 22 and beyond. Verse 22 doesn't really have a verb. And I wasn't very good at English when I was at school, but I know that a sentence needs a verb. So scholars say, actually, verse 22 lends itself, uh, sorry, verse 21, lends itself to verse 22, and the two verses go together. I think that makes sense in my mind. But as I say, different translations do things differently. But I feel verse 21 belongs with the rest of the passage, and that's the passage that I was given. And in fact, it's the verse I want to focus on this morning. Because I think it is the foundation for everything that comes after. Now, you may be saying to me, Nick, that's a cop-out. You know, why don't you grasp the nettle and tell my wife to submit to me? 
I'm not that bold, and my car is running, so I, I can make a quick getaway. No, no. But just in praying and thinking about this and getting out over that initial shock of these verses, what on earth am I going to say? I, I really did feel that verse 21 needs to be our focus this morning. So maybe you say that's a cop-out. Um, maybe it is. But I do feel this is what the Spirit has led me to speak on this morning. Also note that verse 21 does serve as a, a, a transition verse. It's a bridge. It forms a bridge between what's gone before what goes after. So we cannot, we cannot read verse 21 onwards without reference to what Paul has written beforehand. Okay. I know we do that most Sunday mornings. We pick verses, we pick chapters out, uh, and we often don't relate them to what has been said before. But we have got to bear that in mind in our reading today. What do I mean by that link? Well, putting ourselves in the position where we are continually being filled with God's Holy Spirit, it is crucial to building the kind of loving relationships that God desires of us. Without the Spirit's power, think back to Ephesians 3 at this moment and that great prayer that Paul pens. Without the Spirit's power and the enablement that that brings, we can easily let our lives sink back down to what they were before Christ in us. Old habits and patterns of living, old patterns of, of relating to each other that aren't particularly godly, self-centered, individualistic, not kingdom-focused. And as Paul begins this section with this transition verse of 21, it serves as a foundation for what comes next. Paul's understanding is that a spirit-filled life is marked by mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here we have the issue. Here we have the issue. For many, the word submit speaks and implies a, a passive a weak approach to life. Be a doormat. Let people walk over you. Submit to anyone. Let them get their way. In our individualistic culture of our day, it's seen in negative terms. But that's not what Paul is on about here. He's not on about that. The word submit, the word submit means to put oneself under a higher rank. It's a military term. Reflects something of the way the military is organized. You have generals and you have colonels and you have majors and you have captains, you have sergeants and you have the lowest of the low, the privates. There are levels of rank. You are obligated to respect the levels above you and those below you show their respect to you often by saluting. You don't salute the person, you salute the rank. I, I had a moment 
Um, not one of those moments. I had quite a good moment where um, I was invited to go on to one of our, uh, go to visit one of our RAF chaplains. And uh, I went on to an RAF base. And I thought, and it's the first time I, I've ever, ever done this, I thought I would wear a collar. Dog collar. So I quickly went and bought one. In however many years of ministry, I've never owned one. But I thought it might be the appropriate thing to do going on to a military base. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I got to the gate, and immediately the two soldiers with their big machine guns, yes, Padre, what can we do for you? Respect. I thought, I like this. <laughs> they didn't know me from Adam. But there was something about the thing that I had round my neck that brought a bit of respect. That rank in the military brings respect. It brings authority. We know, we know that a person, a private can be smarter, more talented, a better person than a general. But they are still under rank of that general. They submit to that person. Not because of who they are, but because of the number of pips they have or the insignia that they carry. One commentator says, anyone who has served in the armed forces knows that rank has to do with order and authority, not with value or ability. So what might it mean to submit to one another? I don't think Paul has in mind that military ranking that uh, he would have seen uh, in the Roman legions. He's not saying, right, Nick, you are a regional minister, you are over ministers. Ministers, you are ministers, so you are over congregational members. Congregational members, you are congregational members, so you are over non-members. Members, hard luck. Non-members, hard luck. I don't think he's saying that. Not in the same way. And that would go against our understanding of what it means to be a priesthood of all believers. Something that makes us Baptists. There is nothing that I can do as a minister that you cannot do as a follower of Christ in the Baptist church. Other denominations will say, actually, no, only ordained ministers can preside at the table or only ordained ministers can participate and lead a baptismal service or whatever it might be. We have none of that in our tradition. Why? Because we believe in a priesthood of all believers and we practice it. And before you say, okay, Nick, that means that as a regional minister, you're brought down to our level of the laity. No. No. Because we are called to be priests together. We are all elevated to be priests together. It says, or we understand ourselves to be a priesthood of all believers. Not a laity of all believers. But there are moments. There are moments in Scripture when Paul clearly does say, for example, 1 Corinthians 5, submit to my authority. Or where he says in Hebrews 13, 
obey those who rule over you. I'm not sure that Paul is taking the military understanding of submit and applying it directly to church life. Instead, what I think he is trying to do is he's utilizing the understanding of serving others as a way of submitting. Think about Paul, his final instructions to his young disciple Timothy, uh, who, who he instructs to live like, like a soldier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, about being at the disposal of, the, of his commanding officer, being available to go into action. Or think about the, the ancient prayer, uh, the ancient hymn that we have in Philippians chapter 2, where we are encouraged together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In practical terms, submitting to one another implies that we will consider others better than ourselves. It means looking to others' interests. It means that we serve them in any way that we can. We believers place ourselves under others in the spirit of humility and our self-giving in our love. Attitudes that I think are modeled by Jesus himself. And what is the motivation? What is the motivation for this act of submitting to one another? It is out of reverence for Christ. A way of demonstrating the love that we have for him. A way of showing the respect that we have. And then I think what Paul does, he talks about this verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he uses three examples to illustrate what he is trying to say. I think he could have chosen three other uh, illustrations, examples, if he wanted to. But these were typical of household codes of ancient texts. And I think Paul is being really quite clever. He picks something that would have been the norm of the day, and he adds to it. He brings a different perspective to it. And actually, I think if he had not included this, I think there may have been a few eyes being raised because it was the done thing. So he uses these three sets of relationships to explore his idea of mutual submission. And again, we need to bear in mind, we live 2,000 years on from the world of the New Testament. It's obvious to say that, I know, but we need to say it nonetheless. There are numerous cultural gaps between then and now. Them and us. And we have to be mindful when we engage in, in biblical interpretation. We have to bear in mind those things when we engage 
in saying, what does God's word say to us today? The society that Paul lived in was completely and utterly... Oh, I've just realized I can't say this word. Patriarchal. Patri- yes, is that right? Yes. Yes. Dominated by men. Okay? It was completely dominated by men. We have to bear that in mind because that world is 2,000 years previous to our own culture today. It was not a good time for women. You were, women were viewed as inferior to men. They were given very little freedom. They received very little education. They could not be witnesses in a court of law. They had less economic independence. They could not adopt children or make contracts and generally kept away from public life. Think about the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. Girls were married by the time they were 16 and they were expected to take the religion of their husbands. They were constantly under the authority of a male figure, their father, their husband, or some other male relative throughout their entire life. Even within marriage, Roman law gave husbands complete authority over their wives. They were considered possessions. Into this environment where women were not valued, I think Paul does something really quite spectacular. And I know Paul gets a bad rap. Because the Christian faith brings something that is counter-cultural. Jesus allowed women to be his disciples. They were the first witnesses of the resurrection that first Easter Sunday. They were sent to proclaim to the men that the Lord had risen. They received the outpouring of the Spirit at that first Pentecost. They received spiritual gifts. They ministered and led within the church community. Counter-cultural to the society of the day. With the next two examples that Paul uses, Paul also does something that is incredibly countercultural. He addresses both children and slaves directly. And interestingly, he speaks what would be deemed by, by contemporary society of his time to the lesser partner. You don't need to address children. Don't need to speak to them. Don't need to talk to slaves. You need to talk to their masters. You need to talk to the parents of the kids. But Paul directs statements to them. And I have this feeling. I have this feeling as the church gathers to hear Paul's letter being read, that church community in Ephesus, that as the words are being read, suddenly the ears of the children pick up. Because Paul says, children, ooh, yeah, yeah, what? Slaves, ooh, what? We are being addressed directly here. There is worth, there is value. Again, though, what we see throughout these three examples, these three relationship groupings, is that the instruction isn't one-sided. 
wives are addressed. And then there are some difficult instructions given to the husbands. If you want your wife to submit, then husbands, you better be loving her like Christ loves the church. That is not easy. That is a hard task to follow. Children, but fathers, don't forget. Slaves, here's some instructions for you. But masters, do this. That's countercultural. It's leveling. There are very, 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 very few examples of household codes where the lesser partners are addressed. So Paul is doing something here quite spectacular. And we know elsewhere in Paul's writing, there's no longer male or female, slave or free, Greek or Jew. What Paul is doing is leveling. Nowhere do the church leaders in Ephesus say, okay, let me grab all the wives, please. This is what Paul says to you. Children over here, please. This is what Paul says to you. Slaves, yes, this way. He addresses the community together. That mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. And I think that's part of Paul's plan. I think that's why Paul includes this here. In each set of relationship, there's that challenge for both partners. It's not one-sided. If it was, it wouldn't be mutual submission. We no longer have formal household codes in the way that Paul uses here and writes about. We do not have slaves, and we would never dream to group wives, children, and slaves together as the ancient world philosophers did. Interestingly, as I say, the main, the, the main non-Christian examples of household codes that we have, they do not address the slaves, the children, or the wives. Certainly don't address how they are to act, uh, how their husbands are to act towards them, or their fathers are to act towards their children, or their masters, how they are to act towards their slaves. Not the done thing, you see, to tell men how to act. They were considered members of their own household, so they could do what they like. But Paul, Paul's outline here is different. Absolute power is not given to men, but instead there is a high degree of responsibility for all parties and mutual respect shown. Maybe Paul could have picked some other examples to illustrate his understanding of mutual submission. But what he does here is pick this set of relationships and he challenges those who have greater power in their cultural day, husbands, parents, masters. And he pushes them towards love, kindness, consideration, because the grace that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This morning, as we gather together as God's Baptist community here, 
I guess my challenge for all of us is how can we show our mutual submission? Mutual respect that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That as we look around, we are the body of Christ. How might we serve? How might we play our part? How might we build the kingdom of God together? Let's pray. Father, my prayer is quite simple this morning. However we understand these verses, however we want to apply them or interpret them in our households, I pray quite simply that in all of our relationships, you would be central. Your grace, your mercy, your peace, your forgiveness would be evident in all our dealings with each other. And Lord, we pray that as people who do not know you look at us, they would see you shining through us. Jesus, be glorified through our relationships, we pray. In your name. Amen.